Turn in your Bibles now, please, to the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 5. We are marching, we are marching, oh ho, we are marching to, through, I should say, the Sermon on the Mount. <coughs> Excuse me. Can you mute me for a sec? Okay, I'm good. Yes, we've been marching our way through the Sermon on the Mount together, uh, and we are almost at the end of chapter 5. Three chapters to this sermon, folks, so uh, we're not finished yet, that's for sure. Uh, But we are currently looking at verses 38 through 42 of Matthew chapter 5, and I'm going to read that for you right now. Chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 38. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, you do not, I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. This is the word of the Lord. Every week as we've been marching through this series together, we've been saying that that the, the title of the series is Through the Looking Glass, because the kingdom of God that Jesus announced when he began his ministry is an alternative reality. When you read Alice in Wonderland or Alice Through the Looking Glass, you you read about a girl who, who is in one world that works a certain way, and when she goes through that looking glass, she enters a different world that works a different way. And we've been using this as a way of explaining how Jesus Christ tells us that when you enter the kingdom of God, and the way you enter the kingdom of God is by being born again, being born of the Spirit. When you enter the the kingdom of God, you enter a whole new world. You enter an alternative reality. And it's weird. (laughs) Because the values of that reality are different from the values that you are used to, the values that you uh, grew up with, the values that were instilled in you when you were part of this kingdom of the world. And so you start thinking about everything differently. And, And Jesus is pointing out all these places for us through this sermon in which our our thinking is challenged and changed and different. We relate to our emotions differently. We, we relate to our desires differently. Last week we saw that we relate even to the truth differently. And it, it, it says a lot about how Jesus' standards are, are impossible for us to reach. Essentially what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount is he's working out the implications of verse 20. We talked about this several weeks ago. I'll just quote it again for you. I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the king kingdom of heaven. And so we've seen how if you lust after someone in your heart, boom, that's sin. If you're hateful towards someone in your heart, boom, that's sin. If you're indifferent towards another human being that has been in your presence, in your heart, that's sin. Well, today, 
I think what we're going to be looking at is maybe the hardest challenge yet. Because what Jesus challenges us with, with respect to this morning in these few verses is one of our most closely held beliefs. The beliefs that we have rights. There's a lot of talk right now about individual rights. I've got my rights. Our whole culture is viewing everything, it seems, through the lens of individual rights. Last fall, uh, Zane um, Radwan was entering high school, and so I took him to Dundas Valley Secondary School to register him for classes. So this was at the end of August, beginning of September sometime. And I was struck by how on the wall in Huge letters, okay, massive letters that you simply could not miss seeing. We, uh, the motto of Dundas Valley Secondary School was, was on the wall, and it said, um, uh, cultivating an empathetic culture of respect and learning through the lens of human rights. That's what it says on the wall. We live in a culture that is utterly obsessed with our rights. We are taught from a very young age, we have these certain inalienable rights and woe to anyone who would dare try to infringe on them or try to transgress those rights. And today, what Jesus is going to show us in this passage is he's going to show us that, that the driving principle of a Christian is not that I am a citizen with rights. Instead, he's going to say the driving principle, the, the, the thing that, that shapes the way a, a Christian thinks about the way they operate in the world is a willingness to lay down their rights, a willingness to forego their rights, a willingness to, to give up their rights for the sake of serving others. In other words, human rights are about self-protection. When we assert our rights, we're saying, hey, I'm going to protect myself. And Jesus says that should not be the ultimate concern of a Christian. The ultimate concern of a Christian is self-donation. The ultimate concern of a Christian is not, not self-service, but service of the self. And he uses four illustrations in this little passage to show us how this works. He's, he's going to talk about uh, our, our, the challenge to our personal dignity, the challenge to our personal possessions, the challenge to uh, our personal liberties, and a challenge to our personal Wealth, and I got to be honest with you, all week long, all week long, as I have been studying this, every time I thought about what Jesus was saying in these passages, and then I, you know, I'd, I'd look at the languages to make sure that I understood what he's trying to say, and then I would go to commentaries, and the commentaries would tell me what Jesus is saying, and they would make application. Every single time, for every single one of these things, I found my instincts were to resist. I found my, my natural way of responding to what Jesus was saying in these verses was to say, yeah, but. 
And I don't have a doubt in my heart that many of you, if not all of you this morning, as we go through this passage, if you're listening carefully and you're thinking about the implications of what Jesus is saying in each of these illustrations, you're going to want to say, yeah, but you're going to want to say, well, that's not how I interpret it, pastor. And with all due respect, so what? I'm not saying I'm, I'm Jesus himself. What I'm saying is, is that I tried to do the very thing that you're going to want to do. I tried to find a way to, to say, yeah, but the situation is different. Uh, we live in a modern world. Things are different now than when Jesus lived. Uh, the circumstances of our lives are not exactly the same. And therefore, there's ways where, where this doesn't quite apply to me the way it applies in the first century. And I just got to tell you, friends... I couldn't find a commentator who would back that up <laughs> as hard as I wanted to, as much as I wanted to. So what I'm asking you to do as Western individualists, that's what we are, Western individualists, I ask you, please, try to hear Jesus this morning. And if he cuts deep, let him. Because he is a gentle physician. He only cuts where he has to. And he only cuts for as long as he needs to. And he always promises to heal through that surgery. So, with that warning and with that pleading... Let's dive into this passage together and see what Jesus says about life as a Christian. First of all, Jesus challenges our right to personal dignity. This is in verse 38. Jesus says this. He says, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Now, this is probably one of the most misunderstood parts of the Bible that you can find. A lot of us don't know what this is talking about. This is a reference to what's known as the text or the lex talionis, the law of retribution. And this was an Old Testament law that was given to judges in the Old Testament court system to limit people's revenge uh, for crimes. It was to make sure that punishments actually fit crimes. So it wasn't just an eye for an eye and, and a tooth for a tooth. It was only an eye for an eye, only a tooth for a tooth. Don't go beyond that. Because the human inclination, when we've been wronged, is not to actually retaliate with measured, uh, reasonable, uh, <clears throat> proportionate responses, but rather to, to one-up. One of my favorite movies years ago, I, 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 I've got to start watching more movies because all my movie illustrations are from before when half of you were alive, but whatever. Uh, the Untouchables, Sean Connery plays this, this, this beat cop and Kevin Costner is this detective, and Kevin Costner wants to take down Al Capone. And he doesn't know how to take down Al Capone. And so Sean Connery and his awesome Scottish brogue, he says, you want to know how to take down Capone? I'll tell you how you take down Capone. I'm doing a terrible job. I'll stop it. Uh, <clears throat> he, says, he says, when he pulls a knife, you pull a gun. If he sends one of yours to the hospital... You send one of his to the morgue. That's how you get Capone. That's the Chicago way. And that is a pretty good 
illustration of how, how human beings respond to being wronged. We don't just want to, to have a proportional response. We want, to, we want to get back and we want to get a pound of flesh. We want to get more than what was taken from us. And so this lex talionis was meant to curb this revenge instinct in us and, then, and to make sure that, that laws were proportional to uh, the offense. So you go to the medieval era and if you stole a sheep in medieval times, you could be hanged for that. And I'm thinking, hmm, probably could have used a little lex talionis there. But what was happening was people were starting to use this principle in their personal lives so that they could personally exact justice against other people who were, who were hurting them or who were wronging them in ways that had really nothing to do with the law. And Jesus is challenging that and he's saying, look, the, the lex talionis, it's good for running a society, but it's a really bad way for conducting your relationships. Instead, he says in verse 39, this is what you should do with your relationships. He says, I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Now, Jesus is not saying here, be a complete pacifist, and when somebody comes up and gives, starts unleashing a beatdown on you, you're supposed to just take it. Because if you want to beat someone up, you don't slap them across the face. You punch them in the nose. And so Jesus is not saying to do that. In fact, actually, Christians are not supposed to sit back and, and let people break the law and say nothing about it and just ignore it. Jesus himself, when he is slapped in the Sanhedrin and he has his beard pulled in the Sanhedrin in the midst of a, of a, of a, of a court, a kangaroo court, he stops them and he protests. The Apostle Paul, when he is being wrongfully jailed as a citizen of Rome, what does he do? He appeals to his citizenship. Why? Because he has legal means to protest and to uh, defend himself. And Christians are supposed to do that, of course. We're supposed to stand against injustice and protest it when we see it being done. What's happening here is Jesus is talking about an insult. So he's talking about a backhanded slap with the right hand, whack, which is, would hit, whoop, ooh, don't do that, would hit the right cheek of the person being insulted. And it was meant to be very demeaning and very dishonoring. I mean, cultures have different ways of being extremely insulting toward one another. And this was one of the ways that people were insulting to each other back then. In fact, it was so serious that if the fine for, for doing this was exorbitant. And Jesus says, when someone insults you like this, says something to demean you, something to... Uh, uh, smear your reputation, something to dishonor you. He says, the way you react to that will reveal the kind of person you are. If you are a gospel person, Jesus says, you won't hit back. That's what you want to do. Right? Someone insults you, you want to have a better insult back. Because you want to save face. It's shocking when you see people go into these Twitter wars and they're just one-upping each other on social media or get into arguments on Facebook and the kind of garbage that people say about one another has nothing to do with the actual issue that they're addressing. It has everything to do with their, their character and trying to smear one another. And Jesus says, listen, saving face, protecting your honor, protecting your dignity, all that kind of stuff, that shouldn't be such a concern for you. 
Remember, this is about your personal dignity. And Jesus says, you don't need to protect it. You don't need to honor it. Why? 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 Well, even though Jesus is saying, look, when, when, when there's nothing at stake except your personal pride or reputation or rights, and he says, don't retaliate, we want to return the blow with a blow, and he says, don't do it. Why? 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 Because he wants us to be a doormat? No. Actually, not at all. The Apostle Paul, in Romans 12, he says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What does that mean? Well, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a uh, Lutheran minister during the rise of the Nazis in World War II, and who was jailed and eventually executed for helping to uh, conspire to assassinate uh, Adolf Hitler, uh, he wrote in a book something very interesting about this, and he said, he said, listen to this. He said, quote, The only way to overcome evil is to let it run itself to a standstill because it does not find the resistance it's looking for. Resistance merely creates further evil and adds fuel to the flames. But when evil meets no opposition and encounters no obstacles but patient endurance... Its sting is drawn. And at last, it meets an opponent that is more than its match. Here's what Bonhoeffer's saying. He's saying, evil, personal evil, it needs resistance in order for it to gain traction. And if you don't give its resistance, if you just ignore, if you don't respond in the way that, that you've been treated... You have tremendous power over the, the situation and your meekness is actually not weakness, it's disarming. That's what Bonhoeffer is saying. That the evil, it sort, of, it sort of runs out. Now you might say to yourself, well, but that's not always true. Sometimes if you don't resist people, they go at you even harder and they stomp on you even more. And they besmirch your reputation online to an even greater degree. Okay. It doesn't change what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, what do you care? What do you care? I know that shocks us. But Jesus is saying, what's the big deal? Because if you're a gospel person, think about this. What does the gospel tell us? The gospel tells us we are more wicked than we ever dared imagine. That's one of the things the gospel tells us. And so if someone insults you, someone berates your, or, or, or besmirches your reputation, writes nasty stuff about you online, or says nasty stuff to you in person or whatever, you can actually respond with, oh man, yeah, that's pretty bad, but you actually don't know the half of it. I'm even a lot worse than you're saying. Now you say, oh, come on, that's not realistic, Van and Brink. You can't say that. Well, you can if you understand the other dynamic, which is you are more loved and cherished than you ever dared hope. Even though you are wicked and you are a sinner and you sing songs like we did today about um, their mouths are open graves, which is just straight out of Romans 3. So it's not like these are crazy ideas that, that songwriters come up with themselves. They come right out of the Bible. And you, and you discover that you're actually a sinner who has all kinds of, of wickedness inside of then when someone says to you, ah, oh, you're ignorant, or ah, oh, you're stupid, or ah, oh, you're ugly, or ah, oh, you're whatever, you can say, oh, you don't know the half of it. You think I'm pretty bad. You got no idea. 
But you can say that because at the same time, you are also remembering deep in your soul that despite the fact that Jesus knows how sinful you are deep down underneath it all in places that you don't talk about at parties, Jesus still loves you and cherishes you and delights in you and thinks you are wonderful and calls you the apple of his eye. And so you don't care if your reputation is being torn up by this guy because that that guy's opinion doesn't matter to you. You can't be intimidated, friends. I know this is rare to see it actually happen, but that's how Jesus overcame. This is what's going to defeat the world, okay? This is what we're going to do, friends. Through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our hearts, we are going to love on this world that hates us to death and never stop doing it until the day Jesus Christ returns and his weaponry of conquering the world is finally and ultimately vindicated. The scriptures say about Jesus that he who was reviled, when he was reviled, he did not revile. When he was in that court and he was slapped and he had his beard pulled, which was even more demeaning, he didn't respond by hitting back. That's the first one. Our personal dignity. Jesus challenges our right to our personal dignity, but he also challenges our right to our personal stuff. This is verse 40. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Okay, what's going on here? Well, in those days, you had a legal right to sue someone for their shirt. And you think to yourself, like, why would you ever sue someone for their shirt? Well, the very poor had almost no possessions, and the possessions that they had were usually their clothing. That was all that they had. And so if they were in debt to you and you needed to sue them for for any reason, you could literally sue them for the shirt off their back. But they were not allowed to sue you for your coat. Because your coat, you see, was your blanket at night. It was part of staying warm and staying alive. So what's Jesus' point here? Again, he's not saying just let people take your stuff away from you when they feel like it. You know, you're sitting in your, in your driveway and someone walks by and they see your bike on the driveway and they walk over to your bike and they go, hmm, I like this bike. Flip the kickstand, hop on, bike away, and you're just like, enjoy. That's not what Jesus is saying. In fact, Jesus says we have a responsibility to, protect, to care for our family, provide for them, and protect our estate. This is 1 Timothy 5, verse 8. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And so if your business is being sued, and someone's taking your business to court, Jesus says, defend yourself. Scripture says, defend yourself. But, but, here's the thing. When... The law protects you. Even if the law protects you, Jesus says, maybe, maybe you need to forgo your rights to that protection for his sake. This is one of the ones where I was like, yeah, but... Jesus is saying, listen, you're above rights You're above your personal rights. If you're mine, I laid my rights aside. Don't you remember? I was stripped bare. 
I was put on the cross naked. I had my tunic and my coat and everything taken away and I was nailed to that piece of wood and I was hung up for all the world to see completely naked and soldiers spent the, that time while I was in agony, they spent that time casting lots for who was going to get my tunic and you're worried about your rights, your stuff. I laid it all aside. Listen, friends, the way the world operates is this. You come after me, I lawyer up, and I come after you. And Jesus is saying, that's not how you operate when you're in my kingdom. You don't live the litigious life. You don't demand your rights. And, and in fact, he even says more he's, because we're talking about our stuff here. You ever, you ever met a person who's really, really generous and you say, boy, that person's so generous, it's like they'll give you the shirt off their back? Well, Jesus has said, that's to be us. To, to hold on to our personal possessions so lightly that even if they are taken unjustly, we don't lose our mind and do everything in our power to fight to get it back as though it's ours. C.S. Lewis once said, prosperity knits a man to the world. He thinks he's finding his way in it. But really, it's finding its way in him. Jesus is saying, lay down your rights to your stuff. But it gets worse, Okay. Some of us might say, yeah, you know, stuff. I like stuff, but what do I care? I buy mostly junk from Canadian Tire, so take it. Not, not high quality anyway. Sorry, Canadian Tire. But this one, my personal liberty, that Jesus would tell me to give up my rights to my personal liberty. Now this one's going to get pretty tough. You see, Jesus says in verse... What does he say? What verse is it? Oh yeah, verse 41. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. This is the go the extra mile verse. What is Jesus talking about? Well, once again, context matters. In Palestine at the time, a Roman soldier had the right, had the right to make any Jew carry his pack for a thousand paces. A thousand paces was a Roman mile. And this is why you remember when Jesus is carrying his his cross out to Golgotha and he can't do it and he stumbles and falls, the Roman soldier tells Simon of Cyrene, hey, you pick it up, carry it for him. They had a right to do that. They had a right to, to, to make you go the extra mile. And it was humiliating to the Jews. Because whenever they had to do this, okay, then, then they couldn't do anything about it. They couldn't say no. And it was like the Romans would be rubbing their noses in the fact that Jesus, or that they were, the Jews were under this Roman rule. And Jesus says, go the extra mile. And you got to think about this, okay? Imagine you're walking on a path. You're walking on a road. It's hot, dusty. Palestine is dry and, and very, very warm. And you're sweating and you got your stuff. And you see a Roman soldier coming towards you. And you're on your way and you're like, oh man. And you look around and you're hoping to find a place to hide and get off the road so he doesn't see you. But there's nothing but, you know, scraggly little bushes and stuff. And so you get to him and the next thing you know, he's like, here man, take it. Gives you his hundred pound pack as a Roman soldier. And he says, let's go. And the next thing you know, you're walking back toward where you just came from, you got to go a mile back to carry that for him. And won't you be thinking, 
My freedom's being violated. It's being infringed upon. I should stand up for myself. I can tell you right now what I would do if I was, that happened to me, I would just want to, as soon as that thousand paces was done, I would dump the bag, I would do the whole spit thing, and I would turn and I would march off. And Jesus says, don't. How about considering with a smile saying to the soldier, that was a tough mile, but I think I might have one more in me. Now, why would Jesus say to do that? Well, consider. What does the soldier think if you just dump your bag, do the spitting thing, and stomp off? What is he thinking? He's thinking, ah, that Christian, he's just like everybody else. Those Christians, you know, they're just like all other people. They're worried about themselves. That's fine, whatever. But if you were to have a servant heart and you were to voluntarily and enthusiastically carry that pack another mile, what do you think could happen then? It's in that second mile that you maybe have a chance to witness. That you maybe have a chance to introduce them to the gospel. In other words, Jesus is saying Christians should be willing to be exploited for the sake of the gospel. Others may take advantage of us, but we don't get worked up about it. Because you see, we see this extra mile not as an obligation, but we see this extra mile as an opportunity to witness to the kingdom of God, to witness to the lordship of Christ. We live in a different world that has different rules. Friends, here's what you got to understand. Just because nobody else is playing by those rules, because they're not in the kingdom of God, you are. And so Jesus is calling you and me, regardless of how the world operates, I'm going to fall over this thing if I don't, I'm not careful. Regardless of how the world operates, regardless of whether the world says this is a stupid way of operating, and you say to yourself, this is a stupid way of operating because nobody in the world is operating this way, and so if I operate this way and nobody else is operating this way, I keep getting shafted. And Jesus says, so what? He says, this, this, This kingdom principle that I, like, think about this. We're only three three out of four so far, so we should get to the next one soon. But think about it. What if everybody behaved the way Jesus is saying we should behave? What if the whole world operated this way? What would we have? Not a rhetorical question. Somebody throw out an answer. Peace. We would have perfect peace. We'd have a perfect world. We'd have the utopia that everybody's after. Problem is, people don't do it. People don't live that way, and therefore we have war. We have self-centeredness. We have people living just to get by on their own. And if the church doesn't stand up and say, we will not play that game. If the church doesn't stand up and say, we operate on a different principle who will who will so I feel your resistance friends I spent all week feeling this resistance one more okay personal wealth our rights to our personal wealth Jesus the last thing he says okay give to one give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you now Again, context is everything. Jesus is not saying just give, give your money away 
willy-nilly. He's not. Notice that, and Augustine is the one who points this out, Jesus says, give to the one who asks you. He doesn't say, give them whatever they ask. He says, give to the one who asks you. Okay? So maybe, you know, you shouldn't give cash to a known alcoholic, but you should go buy their groceries. You're giving to the one who asked, but you're not giving them exactly what they wanted, but you're giving them what they need. But do realize that in this context, these were people in, like, real need. They didn't have the modern welfare state that we have, and so it's kind of hard to apply specifics in a a place where we have things like Ontario Works and we have ODSP and these kinds of social safety nets. But the principle is basically this. Give without suspicion, lend without expecting profit. This is a challenge to our relationship to our wealth, okay? In our culture and in the church, let's face it. Come on, let's be honest. We look to our wealth for our security a lot, don't we? And Jesus is challenging that. Jesus is challenging our rights to all these things. He says, you know... You've got a right to defend your dignity. You've got a right to defend your stuff. You have a right to defend your personal freedoms. You have a right to defend your wealth. But you live in my kingdom. And your rights are not the highest priority. What is the highest priority is serving me, serving others, donating yourself, dying to yourself. I found this blog that had this incredible quote. I don't know who wrote it because it just was anonymous. But it, listen to this. The self dies hard. It will go anywhere, do anything, bear any burden, carry any crosses, if only it is allowed to live. It dies hard. It will go to a foreign land or live in a ghetto or the slums as long as it's allowed to live. And I love this line. The last enemy of the believer to be destroyed is the self. But here's the thing, friends. Jesus wants from you and me nothing more than he has already given himself. Because you know, when Jesus was spat on and insulted and slapped when they hurled these insults at him while he was hanging on that cross, he didn't re- retaliate. 1 Peter 2, 23 says, When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And when Jesus was stripped bare and had his stuff taken from him and he hung naked while the soldiers cast lots for his tunic, John nineteen twenty three says, When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Jesus let them take it all. And when we were dead in our sins and our trespasses, Jesus went the extra mile to rescue you and me because... Romans 5, verses 6 through 8 says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his love for us in this, while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. And when we needed it, Jesus didn't hold anything back of his wealth. But he gave everything for us. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. We are rich. He became of no reputation to free us from ourselves. So let's live that way. Looking to him as the author and perfecter of our faith. Let's pray. Father, it's a dangerous thing to read the Bible. Many of us in this room, we've been Christians for a long time. And then we read passages like this, and when we start to understand what you're actually saying, Jesus, we say, Mama Mia, I fall so short so short of what you're calling me to do. And frankly, if I'm honest, I don't want to do it. Oh, but Lord Jesus, you did each of those things happily, joyfully, willingly. We were the evil person that you did not resist. And by your sacrifice, you won us over with your love. May we believe your gospel that the world, if we would live by your kingdom principles, the world could be won over by your love. Strengthen us for this task, and may we find it a joy, not a burden. In your son's name we pray, amen.